The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. I'm really excited to have my guest, Tamara Thompson, on the show today. Um, Tamara has, for years... Um, been the go-to person for adoption services, but that really wasn't her business. But today she has decided to launch an adoption searching uh, agency. And if you have read the stats, you know, anywhere from, depending on who you're talking to, five or six million Americans are adopted, which is just an astounding number. So welcome, Tamara. You're going to tell us all about adoption services Thanks I am. I'm, yeah. I'm going to tell you everything I know. There you go. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> so, Tamara, I, you know, let's talk about your background a little bit, because you and I have known each other um, since you were first got a California private investor's license, which I think was 1989. That, that sounds about right. About I thought right. you were going to say we've known each other since I was a baby. I was a little bit worried. I think you were older than a baby when you got your license, but yeah. we'll... Get into that, <laughs> but uh, anyway, and uh, and you know, you and I actually a shared office space together for a while, and so I've I've known the kind of investigations you do, and you have always dabbled a little bit in adoption services. Uh, what got you interested in and really launching this uh, whole process? Well, you know, I mean, it's been twenty five years or something that I've been an investigator. Um, and started out, like most investigators, doing some of everything um, and got focused on doing the criminal defense work uh, and particularly on death penalty cases where we were spending a lot of time looking into the background of our client and his family and then talking to all these family members in this very extended way on quite uh, um, volatile and emotional themes. Um, so I think that that was very intriguing to me, the, the, the emotional and psychological part of it and, and um, being able to bring some kind of healing to people's lives just by listening to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I just... Uh, fell in like so many things in, in investigations work. Something opened up for me, and in this case, uh, through a friend of mine who um, had searched and found her son, who she relinquished when she was a, a teenager, and she said to me, well, I found him, but I don't really know who he is. 
Uh. and I want to know who he is and whether he knows he's adopted uh, before I contact him. So that was about um, 10 years ago or more, and I uh, had started uh, developing a specialty in doing uh, database and Internet research. And so I proceeded to look into his background, found out that he knew that he was adopted, that his adoptive parents had died, and that uh, that he you know he had been married and all the usual things that we can find out as investigators and she was just so relieved uh that to know that it just made mm. it a little bit easier when she picked up the phone uh to call him so that that kind of got me hooked there mhm yeah it it's so interesting and and Tamara, can you kind of give us um a historical view of where adoptions were like maybe 20 years ago uh, and and how the ro- those records are disclosed versus today? Well, you know, most of people who, I mean, adoption has a long history, and uh, um, so we don't really want to go into what all, all, all that, the ins and outs of it, but let's just say adoption records, you know, uh, a child is going to be relinquished for whatever reason, they're going to go through a court process that's going to transfer, you know, the legal rights from uh, one person to another, and um, and uh, so so that becomes then a completely closed record. Certainly, in almost all states, a handful of states, they're not. So that when somebody gets their birth certificate, uh, it sh- you know shows the adoptive. Uh, parents' names. So that's pretty much historically how it's been. Uh, there's been a shift to open adoption more recently. Um, mm-hmm. But for most of the people who uh, were adopted uh, n- now, who who are living in the you know born in the 50s, the 60s, 70s, or 80s, um, and those tend to be the people who are going to be trying to connect either to children they relinquished or, or to parents, um, their records were closed. You know, mm-hmm. they, as far as they knew, they had a birth certificate that everything on it was correct except for who they were and who their biological parents were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they actually made new birth certificates. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the mother would go into the hospital, there would be a birth certificate, birth information prepared that would go to the county, the adoption, you know, would be finalized, the birth certificate would be changed, those birth certificates, both the original and the the amended one, would go off to the state, and they would seal the uh, original one, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, all you would have then is the uh, uh, amended one, and uh, for a lot of... Uh, Adoptees. Uh, that's all they ever knew. They never, <clears throat> they never knew their original name or, <clears throat> you know, parent or, you know, what the rest of their family looked like. Or, uh, and they were essentially told by, you know, the state and everybody else, this is this is what's normal, you know. And their their adoptive parents were told that too. Yeah. This is what's well, normal. And what's the process for an adoptee to get their original birth certificate? Well, uh, 
you know, I would sort of divide the the uh, work into two areas. The original birth certificates, a few few people get those, except in the handful of states uh, right now who that give adoptees uh, access to their uh, original birth certificates. So hmm. there's only there's only a few of those uh, where that's possible. Um, unless you know, the only there's only uh, really one absolute uh, exception, and that's uh, for Native Americans. If you were, if you're Native American, or you believe and you have some evidence that you, uh, one of your parents, or both your parents are Native American, then there's a federal law that uh, really, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, huh? And that's because they want they're uh, trying to maintain their heritage. Yeah, you can find out what your tribal association is, huh. and uh, yeah, exactly. So that's a federal law, so that overrides all the state laws that are, you know, a real patchwork. Uh, but so, so it, yeah, most most uh, most people are not going to. Most adoptees are never going to, um, never going to get their original birth certificate. So. Um... Wow. So, so then, what do you do if they if they can't get their original birth certificate? Where do you start? Well, um, there's uh, usually what people want. I mean, it'd be ideal to have your original birth certificate, but your amended one, all the information on there is the same except for the parents uh, and your original your original name. So, essentially, what what we're looking for is to, for an adoptee, is to identify, well, who are the birth parents and who was I at the time of birth, and, and uh, mm-hmm. that's just the initial uh, information. So there's what people want to know and, and the information. So um, we go for, for the information that's going to get us to the, uh, the birth, birth parents. So... There's um, there's a couple of different things that we do. The first thing uh, I always do is say if I have an adoptee client is um, to make sure that they go through with give me all the information they possibly have. As you mm-hmm. can imagine, there's various circumstances. Maybe their adoptive parents have died, mm-hmm. or maybe they're doing the search without the uh, without telling their adoptive parents. Um, mm-hmm. In that case, it makes it a little bit harder uh, in that you want to get as much information from the source as possible. So if there's a cooperative relationship there, then um, essentially we try to interview the uh, adoptive parents and find out everything they know because, uh, I mean, the, birth, the adoptive mother usually was there um, at the time that uh, the, the uh, decree was issued by the court, mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. they got the original documents. Sometimes they uh, heard the birth mother's name in, in open court when they were there. Um, could be all kinds of things like that. So, so the first thing is to um, get everything that's known from from the uh, adoptive parents. Well, and, and it's not uh, it's not always open court either, is it? 
Right, right. And it's not like you can just walk into an adoption hearing. It's just that the parties that are affected are are there, um, or the uh, there was an attorney who the uh, adoptive parents had contact with who may have provided them with documents. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of parents, because there's so much you know emotional issues around. Mm. Uh, adopting a child um, because a lot of the couples who adopted during that time period um, they weren't able to produce their own biological children so Mm -hmm. they have a lot of grief um, uh, related to that and so they may just want to blot out all evidence of mm-hmm. the the adoption, so they don't save the records, or they lock them away somewhere, and they don't tell their their child that they have them. Um, so, the, so that's the first thing you may you may get something there, you may not uh, get something there. Well, um, and then, and then there's um, back in the what fifties and sixties when there were still un, what they called unwed mothers' homes. There was a lot of shame associated. Um, with putting a child up for adoption, and those uh, proceedings usually were were done in secret. Yeah, that's right, and that was uh, that's a yes, that's a very uh, painful thing because you imagine these young women, mostly uh, in their teenagers or uh, in their twenties. Uh, some of them, they're they're essentially coerced by circumstances. Their parents kick them out, or say unless they relinquish the child, uh, they're not going to let them live there. Their boyfriends, you know, who are going to marry them, decide to abandon them when they get pregnant. Um, there's a lot of shame and isolation, and that that definitely stays with people. Um, it stays with people their whole lives, and and uh, some of that gets people to to um, to search, and some of it holds them back. Mm-hmm. But by the time somebody you know is coming to me, they've got uh, some information and some motivation. So um, so let's see. So there's the so after the adoptive parents, you talk to the adoptive parents, and if they're involved. Um, and sometimes um, they can go to the adoptive parents can go to the uh, court uh, where the adoption was finalized and mm-hmm. uh, get the, the papers from from the court. Uh, they've gotten in California uh, more restrictive about that. It used to be that the adoptive parents could go in and say, "Hey, this is my file. I want a copy of it." Mm-hmm. Um, they can't do that now. Um, you know, it's. Uh, the thing about the uh, adoption file, as opposed, you were asking about the birth certificate, is mm-hmm. that um, um, it's it's also a closed record and is only available uh, under specific circumstances, which are essentially supposed to be for uh, you know uh, some, what it boils down to medical necessity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's up to the court to decide if it, if the need. Uh, is there a process for a, the birth child to petition the court to open the records? 
um, to to uh, yes, there's uh, um, there's a, a process, but it's just uh, and there's a form that that uh, I think I have it on my website, but there's a form uh, that uh, you can fill out and submit to the court um, to do that. So mm. if uh, usually what they recognize, it's a very difficult process, and it mostly um, doesn't result in people getting their records open uh, because uh, there aren't that many medically necessary reasons that the, the court would recognize. So, mm. for example, if you had some kind of genetic condition that could be uh, that could be treated uh, by having um, genetic material from a biological relative then that you know that's a pretty high pretty high standard right okay Tamara we need to take a real quick break Um, more to come from adoption specialist and private investigator Tamara Thompson she has lots more to tell us we'll be right back The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today we're talking about adoption searches. Tamara Thompson is my guest. And Tamara, I think this is a good time. I got a, a question from a listener by the name of Lawrence J. Smith, and he says, I have two questions I would like to ask Tamara, um, today's guest, concerning adoption. First question is, has the explosion of information sources 
i.e., proprietary databases and social media may re- made reunion searches easier or harder? That's, that's good. Um, well, let's see. Like everything that happens, uh, it adds another layer of uh, uh, complication, whether it's the actual searching part or the emotional part, because obviously people who get a, a name of the adoptee in a case of a birth parent or or a birth parent could go to Facebook and go, oh, here they are. I think I'll send them a Facebook message. Mm. And, and instead of standing back and going, well, what's going to be the best thing for me to mm-hmm. realize what my objective is, what would be the best route to take? So... Like so many things in life, you can you can act impulsively, and it may not be the best thing just because it's the easy thing to do. So that can be kind of a, a downside uh-huh. um, to that. The, something that's ubiquitously available. Um, I'd say for professionals or professionals who have access to um, the proprietary databases, which is a amalgamation of uh, public records from across the country and private information sources uh, that cross-reference uh, all this data with a person's name and date of birth, um, that that can help us in the adoption work in the same way that it helps private investigators when we're doing any other kinds of research or um, locates. You know, you want to locate somebody, um, and those those databases can be really helpful. Um, okay. You one, know, Tamara, we have somebody calling in, actually. Oh, okay. Um, sure. Phil from Maryland has actually joined us on the phone. Good morning. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm fine. How about yourselves? Very good. Thank you for joining the show. What's your question for Tamara? Well, I just uh, not necessarily a question, but I thought I'd just uh, share some of my experience in terms of my adoption process and my search and and uh, where that's uh, ended up. Um, being an adopted kid out of uh, Children's Hospital in San Francisco in 1961 by uh, two loving parents that raised me in Sunnyvale, California, um, there was always that unspoken rule of uh, until we passed to where I could see the or find the documents. Really? And... Um, after the passing of my mother in 1996, I, I found the papers, and um, they were lost shortly thereafter. And I had uh, submitted to the state of California to find out who I was, and uh, in 2010, um, was sent those papers. And knowing that I really wouldn't be a Rockefeller or a Kennedy, that wasn't what I was looking for, um, <laughs> I was determined that um, I was born out of passion um, from a single Caucasian mother in a a Sicilian father, and uh, both parents were named, biological parents were named in the paperwork, and the father's name was Joseph, and that's uh, where I'd learned early in my life that my name had been changed upon adoption to Joseph, wow. that my parents were going to name me Bert or Al or Bob or something, but had a, um, a last-minute uh, mindset to change it to Joseph, and that was because of my father's uh, given name. Mm-hmm. And we will go forward to uh, 2015, um, to where I, I hadn't pursued any more of that paperwork. I saw it written by a social worker on a top writer in 1961 and, and put it in an envelope and really never looked back. And Ancestry.com came out with a, a program where you could find your DNA and research your ancestry um, 
through a, a little process or service they allow. And so about four months ago, I um, summoned that little uh, packet and uh, gave them some uh, spit in a little cup, and uh, here came the results. And um, there was no Italian in the, in the, in the woodpile. I was 69% Irish and uh, 20-some-odd percent English, uh, 9% other and 1% Asian. So the father that was named in the uh, the paperwork as being my biological father really wasn't um, my father at all. And that um, I was truly born out of passion, uh, maybe from passion from the night before the father out of it, uh, the Sicilian wow. father. But, um, you know, there's always things that I'd like to find out. And um, it's put me to the point where I'm 54 years old, and if there's a the possible chance of a mother who's still living out there to... Um, to go ahead and proceed as planned and then find out um, just who she might be. Um, there was a half-sister that was stated in the paperwork living in Florida at the time um, in the early 60s and whether or not she'd still be around. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, the, 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 the questions out there are is, you know, um, what would be the next step, um, you know, with Tamara? And um, I know that there's a lot of questions to be answered, um, you know, you know, Continuously, um, being adopted, there's things that you know occur to us from the onset of birth. Um, you know, relationally, you know, the shame, fear, and guilt, and so forth that um, we kind of are adorned with as we move forward in life. But um, I'd like to pursue my uh, my hunt, if you would, to find out a little bit more about Joe and um, where that might lead me. What suggestions, Tamara, do you have for him? Well, I mean that's that's you know so sweet that you you called and and um, t- told us your story because I think it's really descriptive of so many adoptees and and a per- particularly you know there's a lot of underground emotions that adoptees aren't given permission to have within their families. Um, the anger, the guilt, the shame, the, you know, uh, there's a secret and you're not supposed to know it, you're not supposed to reveal it, you're not supposed to talk about it. And that's a terrible burden uh, for anyone. And then on top of that, you don't know where you came from. You, there's nobody you look at around you who looks like you, has, has those references that the rest of us take for granted and don't... Um, don't realize how how significant they are. So you know right. you've kind of got that as your uh, your backdrop, and then then with that burden you have to go. Okay, how do I how do I take some action? Which is kind of kind of what you're saying. Although you've done a lot of things, the DNA testing is is a great thing, and uh, there's a whole group uh, Yahoo group DNA adoption. Uh, that's a fabulous group that uh, is all volunteers and help, and they help people uh, analyze and understand how to interpret and uh, make connections through their DNA. Um, so that's that tells people a lot. And you know, like in your situation where um, you got information back that could could be read a number of different ways. Um, Either, as you said, maybe the who your your birth mother named as the birth father was could have been who she thought was the birth father, but was was the person who, you know, she had had 
had sex with that she didn't realize could have been the birth father, or she could have just made it up because, you know, there's all this shame and everything around it, and you've got to come up with something. Or it could have been that um, the social worker made a mistake or lied. I mean, you don't really know. You're going back to to a time when information was being intentionally distorted. So, you know, that lingering question, like you were saying, about basically, who am I? Who is my mother? It's, it's, it's you want more information to fill that in. So I think at this point, you were born in California. Um, you, you, you don't have the records that you originally had, so we're kind of starting from square one. So what I would do is uh, request the original uh, a file from the state of California. We didn't talk about what that is, but uh, uh, we, we can talk about that. Uh, but there's a file that the state of California will give uh, adoptees that has the personal information removed in, uh, as far as names go. But you get that, and that's got some information in it. Uh, in this case, we know because of the DNA that we have to discount the certain factors. But let's say that in this case we would look for the birth mother and um, and then um, uh, I have a, a, a data set that I use that that uh, we can talk about a little bit. But uh, essentially, it will go from your adoptive parents' names and cross-reference to your uh, birth mother's name, and then we go from there. Uh, we know you know what her last name was in. 1961, and then we go from there and try to uh, update it with all the other sources that we have, both in terms of private investigators and some of the proprietary sources, but then some of the, uh, essentially the genealogical resources uh, that genealogists and, and uh, you know, have, have always used. So I sort of rely on all those different Sources, and that's also why I got uh, connected to the uh, genealogy community because I've learned a lot about. Yeah. Uh, so, Tamara, let me interrupt a minute. Cause yeah. You said, I think you said, and I, if I'm correct me if I'm mistaken, that you said there was a way to connect the adopted parents to the birth mother through a, a, a historical record. Right. So, so let's say you know, with an adoptee, um, in this case, Joe knows uh, the name his parents gave him. He knows wh- where he was born, the hospital, the date and time when he was born. Um, so, in in order to coordinate for the state to coordinate. Uh, the birth certificate, the original birth certificate with the falsified amended birth certificate, they had to have a system to make sure they kept track of those things um, because they filed, they filed the, um, the, the original one away under seal, but sometimes they needed to get access to it. Mm-hmm. So they produced this microfiche um, that those of us who go down to the library, you know, and look up the old records, you might be familiar with that. But essentially the microfiche um, 
gives the adoptive parent's uh, mother's uh, name, including her, her maiden name. And then that is cross-referenced with the uh, birth mother's uh, maiden name. Mm-hmm. And it's cross-referenced through the, this is getting kind of technical, but through the birth certificate. Like if you look at, anybody looks at their California birth certificate, um, there'll be uh, two numbers on there. One is issued by the state and the other is issued by the county. So when they amended the birth certificate, they didn't change those numbers. So those numbers stay the same. So those are the, the, that's, that's the piece of information that we use to cross-reference. So you've so just given it, Phil some hope here, I think. What's uh, that again? I said, I think you've just given Phil some hope here. What, <laughs> now, what about... Well, this is, this is kind of an important information for, um, you know, uh, professional, um, uh, you know, other private investigators who are out there who, who are listening. Exactly. Um, because we're all familiar, and genealogists are familiar with this, and most of the public now through organ- companies like Ancestry, um, that there's a a public California birth uh, index. So you can go, if you're born in California, you can go and you look, look up your name and it'll have your birth date and it'll have uh, your mother's maiden name. And obviously, it, you know, if you're adopted, it's a different situation. But in, in that case, you know, you don't get your birth certificate number on there. So the birth certificate number is in this microfiche index that I have which is a unique piece of information that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. Now, what about his half-sister? Would you, what would you do with that? Um, I think that's fabulous because uh, you, know, you know that... Um, so this is a uh, half-sister who... You get that sometimes in the, uh, the social worker's file. It'll say... This is the second of, you know, two children. The first child is, you know, was born four years before um, to a different father. You know, might, might have, it actually might have that kind of information in there. So, you know, uh, oh, I'm looking for a girl who was born in, you know, uh, 1957 uh, and... Uh, so that that's going to be the same thing. We're going to be in the same same kind of situation where we can uh, we have the birth get the birth mother's maiden name, and from that trace to find uh, a record of that sibling in the uh, in the birth index. Bill, do you have the uh, your half sister's name? Do I do I have her name? No. You, yeah, you don't have any information about her other than you know that there's, you have a sister somewhere. No, there was no name given or state. It was just a uh, a half sister. I believe it would would gave the roughly the date of birth, um, and that at the time of the uh, of my adoption, that she was um, living in the state of Florida. Okay, so she was also adopted out. Um, that it didn't say. Yeah, I mean that's interesting because uh, of course we'd have to look at the the state file to to see. But let's say the way you're describing it, if your birth mother's in California where you're born, it, it usually it'll say this in the file. Like it'll say something like so and so was previously living in Florida or came to California. Uh, 
you know, six months ago to finish college or, you know, it'll be something like that. Or it could just say, you know, birth mother, you know, has lived in her parents, you know, were born in California and she was born in California. And then you have to immediately wonder, well, you know, she's got a child that's four years old who's living in Florida. Good chance that that child was also relinquished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, if I remember correctly, that it, it did state now that I've, I've kind of rehashing this that she was um, born out of wedlock as well. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that makes well, sense. Well, I think you know, I think this is a good time, Tamara. You should. Um, why don't you provide your website so Phil can go to your website and see what else there is um, that he can do. Um, sure. And, and, you know, give him uh, a way to contact you in case he wants to pursue, pursue this further. So um, it's adoptionsearcher.com. Great. I thank you for all your help this morning, and uh, good luck to those listening and uh, those of us that will, uh, this will be the impetus by which we will uh, seek our biological parents. Oh, that's Have a great. Wonderful Thanks for and calling thank in. Yeah, thank you so much for calling in. So, so Tamara, this, I mean, this was uh, a perfect situation. I appreciate him so much calling in because this is the real story of what often happens. So, Absol- yeah, Absolutely. No, it was uh, very sweet that he called and shared that with us because it both, you can tell the emotion that's there for him. There he is as a... Uh, you know, 50-plus-year-old man uh, who's still in pain mm-hmm. about this, this separation and, and um, falsification and uh, deception, you know. And, and what a disappointment when he got the uh, DNA results. I, I would think that that was, he was, <laughs> thought it was one thing. And what a disappointment to find out it was completely different. Um, well, this is, you know, this is kind of reminding me of when my, my, my father decided to get his father's uh, military record and found out that all the fanciful stories that his father had told about uh-huh. being a, a uh, World War I pilot, none of it was true, and he was out of the military because of uh, pneumonia within four months. So, wow. uh, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of uh, stories. De- yeah. yeah, deceptions here and there. <laughs> so, um, so question: Who do you, who, who searches more often, the adoptee or the the parents, or the birth mother that gave up the child? It, it, definitely the adoptee. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, I mean, it's a complicated thing, but the adoptees are. Uh, of course, they don't have they. It, everybody within the, that whole adoption experience has an emotional uh, burden that they carry that's that's unique to them and their their experience. But you know, the adoptee is strongly driven. They're, they're, the adoptive parents aren't looking around and going, "Huh, is there anybody in the world who looks like me?" But the adoptee right. is always thinking, "That could be my birth mother. That could be right. my birth father." There, there, there's a drive uh, uh-huh. to know that. So, and then the birth mothers, they're always thinking, I wonder how my child turned out. Yeah. 
Um, I talked to one woman. uh, Can you hang on to that for a second? I want to hear the story, but we do need to take a break. So uh, Tamara will be right back with the story about this woman she talked to. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest is California private investigator and adoption researcher, Tamara Thompson, specializes in finding birth families. Tamara, you were just about to tell us a story about a woman who called you. Um, we were talking about, uh, you had asked me who searches the most, um, mm-hmm. adoptees or uh, birth parents. So I think I sort of answered the thing on the adoptees, but, you know, uh, be, be, because they're out there, they're always looking to see uh, whether there's someone who's a, who looks like them, who's a biological relative, and and uh, the birth mothers are, uh, they likewise are always thinking about the child they relinquished, uh, wanting to know how she turned out, whether she's healthy, whether she had a good life, um, and they feel that uh, the pain of the separation, and they also bear the uh, the shame that continues uh, throughout their lives of um, having had a child, as we talked about before, it could have been the 50s or the 60s. Um, it's a pre-Roe v. Wade era, and uh-huh. there was uh, a lot of a lot of uh, shame for women, and they carry carried that, and so it it makes it a lot harder for them. 
um, to to reach out there. There's always the the cloud of rejection, and uh, most of us don't willingly go into a situation thinking I'm going to be rejected. So why don't I go here? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, they tend to avoid it. So uh, I was just thinking of a. Uh, a woman who, a client of mine who was uh, an adoptee and uh, we, she wanted to find out about her birth uh, family and I reached her uh, half-sibling, found out that her, uh, the mother had died uh, already, and, uh, but the sibling told me the story about the mother and, and uh, said that her mother would just cry every day, saying, "How? Di- where's my daughter, and mm-hmm. how did she turn out?" Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's it's completely heart wrenching mm-hmm. that, um, you know, probably she didn't have family support. A lot of women who gave up children, uh, then they go on, they marry, and they have other children. And sometimes, uh, in a lot of cases, I would say maybe even most cases, they don't tell their their husbands or their children um, that they even had this other child. It's it's that it's that shut down. Um, so, yeah, you know that's a terrible burden too. To, but I've had it lots of times when you know you, you move far enough away in the generation. So let's say a birth mother. Doesn't uh, doesn't talk about it. Uh, I've ha- I had a case of a woman who was you know within she had a a, a condition that she knew she was going to die from within a, a short period of time, and that's what prompted her to tell her children that she had that they had a half sibling. Right. Well, the children were just like, we are going to find that person right. no matter what before yeah. you die. They were just. They didn't have the burden of the shame and everything. They just had the uh, the feeling of wanting to connect and do something for their mother that they knew would help help her and 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 bring some some closure for her in this painful chapter of her life. Well, you know, this brings up. Um, <clears throat> so, say you 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 found the person. Say so. Say in Phil's case, if. Um, he were able to have more specific information about his mother. Uh, you found you found her, and do you? I know it's it's so emotional, and you don't know what the reaction of the other person is going to be. It could be hurtful. Their 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 initial reaction may be shock. Uh, it may be rejection. So, what do you suggest to the adoptee or the birth mother about contacting the person once they're found. Right. You know, you're right. It's it's all this multi-layered thing. You know, I always try to think, okay, here's this person uh, that I want to contact. She has heard nothing in the past 30, 40, 50 years uh, about the child she relinquished. She probably, you know, just she went... Uh, about her, the rest of her life. So you just kind of come in there and you say, here I am, I've got this information for you. You can imagine that it's a, it's a mountain of feelings to, mm-hmm. to try to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they, and again, the woman may have married and not told her husband, and, you know, if you pick up the phone and you call, you know, the husband may answer, and then you're in a quandary of mm-hmm. you want to reach the, the, the birth mother, but you don't want to put her in an uncomfortable situation. So it's, it's filled with all those, uh, all those kind of complications. Um, it, the, it's easier um, to get, you know, it's easier to get a response that uh, may encourage you to call if uh, the birth mother isn't married. Mm-hmm. You know, or she's a widow, or something like that. Where you know, maybe she's living alone. Uh, there's not; she's not looking over her shoulder so much to see, God, what am I going to do about my husband, my children? The, so, but the ha- the fact that if she, if you know that she's had other children, um, then that also puts her in a situation of, are you going to tell my children? Am I going to tell my children? Mm-hmm. There's a lot there emotionally uh, to sort out. Um, and also, if the older the adoptee, the older the birth mother, and the older the birth mother, the more difficult the contact uh, is going to be, um, just right. because of the passage of time and how she's adjusted to uh, uh, her life, but also the era in which she uh, in which she came up. So, in those cases, you know, I kind of leave it up. Uh, to my clients, I try to gather as much information as I can so that I know the circumstances um, that the birth mother's in so that they can make uh, a more educated decision about how they want to approach it. But sometimes writing a letter and closing a picture mm-hmm. and just, uh, you know, talking about your your life and, um, you know, uh, your feelings um, are, are really good, especially when you're able to be uh, reassuring and accepting. And, you know, anytime it, it, the information you're conveying about yourself or about your birth mother is positive. Um, Do you, know, you ever suggest that you make the first contact so you get over that initial shock period? Uh, what, was, what was that again? Do you ever <clears throat> suggest that you make the first contact with the person you're looking for, uh, so they to allow them to get over that initial shock. I do that all the time, you know, uh, it, because sometimes the adoptee doesn't. They want a little bit of a buffer. They don't want to just reach out into kind of the cold wilderness and see what's there. Um, so lots of times that's that's been a very good way of sort of transmitting information back and forth until the two parties are ready to talk to each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. So I'll gather a whole personal history on uh, the adoptee. So when I call up and I talk to the birth mother, I can say she loves horses. She goes hiking every weekend. Um, she has this 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 tick that her children tease her about. And then I'll get you know the birth mother going. I can't believe that I have a farm where I raise horses. Mm-hmm. So you know, you establish the bond between the two as sort of as an intermediary um, when there's a, that receptivity there. Um, and then it makes it a little bit easier. Then I can say to the birth mother, would you like me to give your information so um, to, to your daughter or son so that um, they can contact you? 
Mm-hmm. And then when they agree to that, then they just I let them just kind of take off and develop the contact however they, they choose to do it. Yeah, you know, you get into so many situations. An investigator that you and I both know had a case with a um, looking for an adopted or looking for the birth father. I believe the birth mother. I don't know what happened to her, but the birth father, and he was elderly, and his wife was very ill, and he had never told his wife that he had this child, and uh, so his reaction was initial fear, anger, and uh, lashing out. Um, so that's that's right. that's always what I'm concerned about because oh sure. <laughs> You can imagine if you're the person and you're, you're the adopt you're the person that's put out, been put out for adoption, and you call that person, and they react in in that way, you know something like "Don't ever call me again. I don't ever want to hear from you again." How hurtful right. that would be on top of the hurt you already have. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I think you're right. There's, uh, and that's where in the conversations I'll have with my clients long before we get to any initiating kind of contact is just these sort of issues that, that you're raising, which is, okay, think about what you want and let's talk through what all the possibilities for how this other person could respond and what their situation is. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for that? Take, take a little bit of time and reflect on, you know, we, you can't ever know until you're in it, but it is really important to be prepared and to read uh, about other people's experiences and uh, just to get get to know yourself a little bit better um, and what that other person might have uh, might have gone through so you can be prepared for their reactions so yeah, I think and birth fathers are a little bit trickier they um, they don 't have that same kind of uh, emotional bond and they want, uh, you know, probably in half the cases they want mm-hmm. the DNA test to prove that they're really the father. Right. Um, or else they just won't. Uh, I did have a case that was kind of interesting where I hadn't, I hadn't figured out uh, the birth mother yet, but I had found the birth father. So I sort of approached it as uh, I'm not don't want anything from you except for information about the birth mother. So the first conversation I had with him, he kind of did a dance about you know there are a lot of other people with my name. I'm not necessarily that person, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And right. then you know he wouldn't he bra- pretty much wouldn't break and but told me not to call back and leave him alone. So. Um, I thought about it, and I thought, well, what's the one question that I want answered? The one thing that I needed answered was where the birth mother's um, parents were from. Mm -hmm. So I just picked up the phone, and I called him back, and I didn't reintroduce myself. I just said, where were her parents from? And he told me the town, and then he hung up. (laughs) (laughs) That was... (laughs) Okay, so it wasn't him, but all right. Tamara, we're at the end of our hour, and there's so much more we could say. We probably should do another session on this. Um, so I so much thank you for being on the show today. Uh, they're going to cut me off if we don't relinquish the line here. So to our listeners, tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators, adoptionsearchers.com. Is that right, Tamara? Adoptionsearcher.com. Searcher. Adoptionsearcher, um, singular.com. Uh, it's PIC Classified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Tamara. 
You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 